Hi, this is Ben Thorpe, Associate Research Editor with Farm Equipment. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Farm Equipment Soundbites. In this episode, I sat down with Associate Professor at Loyola University Chicago, Peter Norlander, to discuss what exactly happens during union negotiations and why the first contract proposed during the deer strike was rejected by 90% of UAW workers. Who is traditionally involved in labor negotiations? Are there boards that they elect or, or teams that speak with each other? Great, uh, great question. So um, the two sides, uh, basically you have your management and union each have a different set of actors in there. So companies with uh, labor contracts will have a vice president of labor relations often who is keeping track of the one or many uh, union contracts when they're uh, expiring and when what they want to do for negotiations. They probably are interacting closely with the CEO whenever those uh, contracts are expiring because the CEO ultimately will sign off, um, you know, or the there's no there's no way to get an agreement without the buy-in of the top leadership of the management side. And management is a, it's all under the control of the CEO. So the board, you know, maybe the board will be involved, but probably not. Um, if it's a smaller contract, it may just be the VP of labor relations and they'll just kind of keep the uh, CFO and CEO in the loop. Um, there, there are some companies that have dozens of union contracts, right? And, you know, a union can be as small as a, a handful of employees. So not every union contract is going to be high stakes. But on the union side, in larger unions, uh, well, first of all, the majority of the workers will need to sign off on an agreement. And that's typically what um, they have in their internal uh, constitution as an organization is a right for workers to ratify any proposed contract. So that's where, as a democratic organization, you never know how the vote is going to go. And we saw that in the deer strike, where a few times the union had negotiated something and brought it back to the workers, and they said no. And that um, that means that the, the workers' representatives, the union, must be in close touch with the union members themselves to effectively represent their interests. Now, it depends, again, on the size of the union but, and, and the specifics going on, but the union will often have a bargaining committee that is elected or chosen or selected by the elected president. Um, and in contract negotiations, that committee, depending upon how complex things are, may either break up into subgroups that look at specific issues, such as overtime or training or uh, you know, wages and benefits, or even if it's kind of a, a group that if it's not as complex, they can all handle everything, you know. But then the, the traditional image is a room with uh, a boardroom, people on one side, management, people on the other side, union, get together and have an, at least an initial kickoff meeting, and then they start working either in subgroups or they continue to convene. With Zoom and the, the pandemic, I think that those meetings have been taking place just um, virtually. And that's, that's another wrinkle in this. Yeah. So that's the, the big picture about who's involved. Um, anything more specific on that? I think it gets more complicated in the deer situation and, and in um, uh, large union organizations because you have internal union politics and you have differences between locals and the national union. And ultimately, um, the president of the national union may be calling a lot of shots or may have a lot of power to call shots. 
But then if there's differences of opinion between the locals and the national, then you see a situation like here where they negotiate something and they think that it's a good deal for the workers. And then the workers say, no, that's, that's not what we wanted. In your experience, is it common for a leadership team at a large union to agree to a deal that is then, as the first vote was 90% no, is that yeah. common in the war or is that not common at all? No, that's not common at all. And, and I think that that illustrates that the union had not been in close touch with the workers who were affected by the contract. And that's, it's actually interesting right now in Illinois and in other states where public sector unions, well, it's actually across the country right now, since um, public sector unions must, they cannot collect dues without having members and no member can be forced to pay dues. That's since the, the Supreme Court decision in the case coming out of Illinois. And the, the effect that that's had on public sector unions is to make the public sector unions very closely in touch with their members. And in, in the public sector, also in Illinois, the, the previous governor and, and legislature had put in some requirements that they have to get, you know, 70% or a super majority in order to go on strike. And so you see things like the Chicago Teachers Union getting 90% of their teacher members to say that they're going to go on strike because they're very, very much in regular close contact with their membership. They're in touch with what their demands are. But in this case, you had a union national that was not very closely in touch with what the local workers were seeing. And, and I think part of that is the, the history here and the, the blindness perhaps in Detroit to the farm equipment and then, you know, different, slightly different industry and, and affected workers. Yeah. That's all for this episode of Farm Equipment Soundbites. Thanks for joining us. 